Hi, and welcome to Deer IQ, where smart hunting begins. I'm Adam Lewis, 20 plus year educator, 30 plus year deer hunter, untastefully seasoned outdoor writer, and I'm here to help you achieve what we all hope for to be truly greater deer hunters. We're in the wrap up of our series, Private Land When You're King, or when you're in control, what are the specific moves? and decisions to ensure you have better chances at good deer and don't mess it up, which too many times does happen. In this episode, we're going to look at a few of my takes on specifics of this series, and I'm going to highlight some things I think are worth thinking about, journaling on, and possibly implementing into your hunting strategy. If you haven't listened to this series, feel free to go back and I'll reference episode numbers here as well. Beyond the guests from this series, a couple of our other guests, Dr. Jeff Kelly, Doug Roberts, and Dr. Jimmy Seitz will give their thoughts on their top private land setups. So as we dive into this episode, here are the top look-fors or things to look for during this episode. What are the three factors needed for a perfect setup? What is the number one thing I think hunters should focus on regarding private land hunting? whether you own, lease, or hunt by permission, and what are the key ingredients of a one buck kill plot, something I think you should really consider implementing on the land you hunt. Okay, and let's get to the podcast and up your deer IQ. So as I look back over our private land series, you have to realize these are some general tactics to your approach. We didn't really dive super deep into topics like food plotting, strategies and exact plannings, uh, making specific land improvements, and many other topics like we could have. Those could have kept us busy for years and are all worth discussing, but we just were looking at an overview in this series. The focus is that honestly, many of us can and should take more ownership of the land we use and can do many things to make the habitat and our hunting better. Avoid the urge to be a victim, make a plan to take the reins and make positive changes. You really won't regret that. So we started with Jared Van Hees in episode number 25 and 26. And of the many things we discussed, planning the perfect setup is one that stuck out to me. This had three important components that we should try to create every chance that we can. I'm going to refer to a personal story in this podcast to help illustrate some principles and uh, see that a little more clearly and also show what this could look like with my backyard food plot set up. I bought this house that I live in in 2019 with six and a half acres. The land is an L shape with about two acres being good deer cover, the rest being my house and yard. The surrounding land is a mix of woods and agriculture, of which much is hunted. Four houses are within 150 yards of where I decided to put a food plot, but the saving grace of the land is the thick, brushy security on my portion, as well as about 30 acres that is similar and unpressured adjoining my property. I didn't have much to work with, but there was a small, overgrown food plot already in place in this thick, tangled area and with my improvements since then I've taken a Pope and Young buck and another mature buck actually the one in the podcast thumbnail so that paints the picture for you with my property as the example and here are Jared's three keys he mentioned for a perfect setup 
First, you need low pressure for daylight opportunities at deer. Second, you need better resources than your neighbors, being food and cover mostly. And third, you need bulletproof access, which is your entry and exit routes. On my property just described, I was able to put in a small food plot within the already heavy cover, with other than regular ag fields made it the best food source around in the neighborhood. Also, I tilled up part of my backyard for food plotting that added even more food and reason for deer to stick around. I was able to add some trees, miscanthus, and other minor changes to bolster cover and enhance some strategic trails along with visual barriers of brush and screening plantings like Egyptian wheat, allowing me to sneak to and from my blind pretty much undetected. So that covers numbers two and three, but the secret is self-control with number one. I only hunt a couple times a year and it's when the deer tell me to. I just monitor it with trail cameras and hunt elsewhere until the time is right. When I see daylight movement of a buck, I want to shoot. That happened in 2020 on November 8th with a Pope and Young 10 point I shot. I got a picture of him the day before at daylight and moved in the next day for the kill. It's these strategic style hunts and these three factors you continually need to monitor on your private land for consistent success. I get a shot at a good mature buck almost every year in my humble little plot due to this and did it again in 2022 with a post-rut A-point that needed to refuel on my lush clover plot, which was right next to his ultra-safe bedding sanctuary. He's the one in the podcast thumbnail. Now you may be thinking, well, I want to hunt more than a couple times a year. Well, so do I. But you have to look at your goals and determine what you want. A lot of low-quality hunts or a few very high-quality ones. The antidote to this is having many places to hunt which is what I do on public land. In fact, I have so many spots and deer scouted ahead of time, I can literally hunt as much as I want in the season and have good hunts every time I go out. That's the key, having a diverse portfolio of locations and is something you should really consider. So next we are with Dr. Clint McCoy in episodes number 28 and 30. And one big takeaway here is the number one thing private land hunters should focus on, and this will blow some people's minds, it's not food plots, it's not trail camera inventories, it's not scouting in the summer, it's relationships. Whether you own it and are working on relationships with your neighbors, or you have permission and you're working on this with the landowner, all good things flow from this. Your main focus is not hunting, it is relationships. These are what allow you to form a co-op of like-minded neighbors and grow a more healthy deer herd. These are what allow you to continue the privilege of hunting someone else's land. And these are what, if left unattended, will cause all that to disappear as well. Focus on relationships first and good hunting will follow. Get this out of order though and your hunting will really suffer. Episode number 32 was with Ty Easley of Heartland Bowhunter. It was a great talk and a guy who shoots six to eight year old mature bucks consistently. Listen to that one for more details on that. But here's my big takeaway from him. The one buck kill plot. 
Most people look at the land and let it dictate where to put a plot. First, big food plots only work in super low pressure areas, on mature deer especially, so keep that in mind. Kill plots are a quarter to half an acre, are made back in cover, and for Ty, he lets a specific buck tell him where to put it, not the land. He scouts and finds where a big buck likes to bed, his preferred bedding area, then he puts the groceries right next to this. This encourages the buck to hit it in daylight, and all Ty has to do is wait. It's really a next level approach to hunting specific bucks, and I will say this, if you make a plot in an area one big buck likes to bed, uh, due to resources around that area, even if you shoot him, another one is likely to take up residence due to those same good factors. It's definitely a strategy to consider, even on permission property. Again, if you do your job on the relationship, the landowner may be happy to let you add a plot to help the habitat of their land. Okay, like this episode so far? If you do, take a second to like it or review it, depending on where you're listening, and comment with your thoughts. And if you have a buddy who may benefit, share it with him too. If you want more detail with a general land management plan strategy for mature bucks in your land, check out my article I shared below, Make Your Land a Big Buck Factory. That will give you a good start to a land management plan. And also, if you want me to give my ideas for improving your hunting spot, reach out to me at my email, which is adam at deeriq.com. I'm currently doing a handful of land analysis plans for both private land and public land locations on a free trial basis. I'm only doing a handful of these, so if you have interest, make sure you reach out right away. All right, and now let's get back to the podcast and some specific private land tips from our other guests. Dr. Jeff Kelly was on our public land series, episodes numbers 13 and 14, but I asked him at the end about his public land setup versus his private land setups. And this is what he said. Take note of how he collects his intel. Talking about private land, uh, there's a huge differences we just kind of mentioned between hunting public land and hunting private land and just your approaches to that right um but so talking about private land uh do you have like one setup that you particularly like or you try to get uh when you're hunting uh private land like what might that look like or what uh are you looking for um again fresh sign and it and it and it really depends on the time of year when it comes to private land i mean i don't hunt a whole lot of private land when I leave the state, but in Michigan, I do have, um, you know, plenty of access to private land. Um, but it really boils down to with private land, you do have the time to scout. You do have the time to glass fields in the summer. Um, I run a ton of trail cameras. I mean, I probably have 50 cellular cameras, um, that I utilize. So that's the difference I think between the, the private, in the public um you're scouting differently um you're not hunting other hunters um on the private land that i i go to i'm not worried about necessarily getting into hard spots because uh, you you may be able to go 100 yards from the road 
and you know you're not going to be bothered from another hunter because you're communicating with your friends and your buddies and you're all working together so you you don't have to think about a lot of the the things that you do when you when you are hunting you know public land and you have a lot more intel um you you know you just you don't always have a lot of intel um you know preseason intel scouting camera intel um you know you you don't have that stuff out on a lot of the public land where you do on the the private land so um it's it's a lot different you know you got your preset stands you've got your intel you've got a list of maybe bucks that you're gonna target um and you, you don't have to it's not a guessing game really when you when you get out there so so if you noticed he said 50 cellular cameras now this may be cost prohibitive for many of us but it does highlight the vast difference sometimes between public land uh, intel gathering and private land there are totally different approaches in many regards and this is probably going on our future podcast topics list Okay, on the guest, Doug Roberts of Conquest Deer Farms from our series, To Be in a Deer's Head. Great episodes, numbers 7 and 10, and worth a listen for sure. And who I calculated has over 1,446 years of hunting experience. How is this possible? Well, listen to those episodes. I detail that out. This is what he said for his best tip for private land. Doug, what's the number one thing you would suggest for private land hunters uh, to get in a deer's head really and understand deer and have success on private land? Most hunters that have private land have small tracks. I would say train them to be used to you being out in that environment on a consistent basis when you would be hunting it's it's the only way you're going to keep them feeling comfortable you know you talk about people mowing their lawns and the deer are all standing there that's because they know that lawnmower is not dangerous that sounds not dangerous train them um if you don't train them and you try to sneak out all it takes is one to smell you see you hear you and it tells everybody else well that that hunting period's done um, unless you want to shoot something little and young, um, cause they're not smart enough to know, Hey, that's dangerous. So I'm not going to come out. But again, the mature bucks, the mature deer, the mature does, even they're not going to come out. So train them to be used to you being in their world. Training deer. Very interesting. And I will say you either have to totally stay out and keep it a sanctuary or habituate them with your daily presence. An example, my neighbor who has the 30 acres of bedding cover behind my house, his wife walks trails back there and through that every day. The deer are used to her and do not really see her as a threat, so they just keep doing their normal routine and hunting is still fine for me. So that is something to think about for your private land setup depending on how much you're able to be there. Lastly, I have Dr. Jimmy Seitz, who will appear in a future episode on stewardship. He shared a public land tip in episode number 23, and here he shares a specific setup that produced a big Tennessee 11 point for him. Take note of his intentionality and how long he's been working on his land. 
Jimmy, what is one private land setup that is your absolute favorite, and why is that? I have a redneck buck palace blind that is sitting on the ground, not elevated, and I have been growing the sanctuary around it for 18 years. I in, I'm very intentional about how I manage the woods there, and I'll cut trees and drag them into certain spots so that thickets will grow up around them. I'll keep certain spots open. Uh, I'm, I'm very uh, fond of that blind because it is so incredibly uh, uh, airtight, uh, scent tight with the windows down, also comfortable. So like, for example, this one particular buck, uh, I called him the birthday buck. Um, he, he showed up and I passed him for a couple of years until he got older and bigger. And then the, the next, the, the time he came through when he was mature and I got him on camera, I'm like, okay, he's back. So I allocated the next, however many days it was going to take to kill this deer in the first two weeks of October. The first two weeks of October are the lull. That's when deer crawl in a hole and just, you can't kill them. And they're just almost unkillable. I quit hunting those first two weeks for a long time, but this deer showed up on October 1st, which was my birthday. And so I decided to go in there and I set that stand for eight straight days. My wife would bring me food to the stand on, on two different occasions. She literally brought me food, one for my birthday and another time a pizza. I had my assistant come one time and bring me a recliner in the back of her car because I got so tired of sitting in something that, that was kind of hurting me. I had my laptop and a table in there. I mean, it was just like, it was the, all the comforts of home, and I enjoyed it. I saw tons of deer pass, lots of you know mm -hmm. small bucks. But finally, uh, he came in, and it was an evening, and it was too dark for the camera, so I didn't shoot him. And then three days later on day nine, I, I decided, all right, I'm going to get in there super early this morning because if I kill this deer, it's going to be right at the lip of legal shooting light, like the first minute or two. And I eased into my stand. I was using a green hybrid light to walk in. And when I got in my stand and I got everything situated, it was still at least 30 minutes before daylight. And it was pretty dark. But it was just one of those times when you could start seeing the lip, just a tiny bit of the lip of, of light, you know, in the horizon through the woods. And I got my binoculars and I'm looking and, you know, that helps. And sure enough, boom, there he is. He's standing on a mock scrape I'd made with Conquest Sense. And he's exactly 20 yards away. He stands there for 20 minutes. Did not move. He keeps thinking with all that fresh scent I'd put in there, man, these deer are going to come back. They've been here. They're going to, and that's the thing about conquest sense. They'll do that. And he stands there and stands there and stands there. Well, finally it's starting to get light enough now that I can actually see the pin on my bow and I could get a shot. And I've got the camera rolling and you can slowly see the outline of the deer starting to show and um, about three minutes past legal shooting light, he's done. He's walking off. And I'm like, well, it's now or never. So I drilled him at 35 yards and killed him. And it's not great footage, but it's a great story. And, of course, you see him well on the recovery. But he was a giant 11-point Tennessee buck. And so that stand made the difference uh, as to whether or not I would have been able to pull that off. I never could have done that on a lock-on stand. There's no way. Couldn't have done it stalking. I had to have a good blind, and in my opinion, the rednecks are just the best mm. by far. <clears throat> okay, so land improvements do take time and persistence, both for that as well as hunting sometimes. 
And those are really important things to remember when working with your land and hunting on private land. All right, so that wraps it up for us on private land when you're king. Here are your high IQ takeaways and challenges. How are you utilizing your power and control and how can you do better on your private land hunting? Are you taking responsibility for the deer herd in your area and the relationships that will help your hunting more than anything? How can you improve these? And on our next series in our year-long theme to be a greater deer hunter, we're looking at what the top hunters, the best of the best, use as their secret tools for success. We look at the systems of great deer hunters. These are things we can replicate if we know them and get similar results. It's a great series with some very well-known and incredibly successful and knowledgeable guests. You won't want to miss it, and I'll see you then.